0: Welcome to Wisco Legacy, I'm your host, Corey Kundert. On Wisco Legacy, we talk to inspiring Wisconsinites to hear all about their life's journey. Jeff Ditzenberger joins Wisco Legacy this week to talk about TUGS, a nonprofit he started around mental health. TUG stands for talking, understanding, growing, and supporting. Jeff's had some trying times in his life. Uh, he's had a f- couple divorces. He was in the Navy and has some PTSD from that time. Uh, he had an attempted suicide when he was younger. Uh, all these these trying times uh, were lessons learned for Jeff and he's, he's able to utilize what he's learned through those lessons to help uh, in his work that he does with tugs. If you like Wisco Legacy, head on out to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast out there. Also head out to whatever podcast platform you're listening to and and follow us and rate us and review us there. We're also on YouTube. Every week we have the video version that's up on YouTube. So hit, go out there and hit subscribe as well. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Uh, head out there and follow us as well. With all that said, let's dive on into episode 26 of Wisco Legacy with Jeff Ditzenberger.
1: Hi, I'm Jeff Ditzenberger. I'm the president and founder of TUGS, which stands for talking, understanding, growing, and supporting. And this is my Wisco Legacy.
0: And really excited to talk to you today, Jeff. Welcome to Wisco Legacy.
1: Thanks. I don't have a lot of people tell me that they're excited to talk to me, Corey. So I am actually kind of glad that <laughs> this early on a Sunday morning. That's kind of a that's kind of cool. So <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. All right. So you grew up. Uh, your, your roots are in agriculture. You grew up on a farm uh, in South Wayne. Can you talk about growing up on the farm and what that experience was like for you?
1: Yeah, you know, just a small dairy farm in South Wayne. We milked like 50 cows, a couple hundred acres. Uh, Dad and grandpa and my uncle farmed together for quite a while and then kind of went on their own. Um, You know, small town. I think South Wayne's got like 465 people, except on the weekends, and I think it's like 430. Uh, But, um, uh, you know, I went through high school at Blackhawk um was really good at public speaking uh enjoyed my ffa time wasn't really big into sports uh you know us farm kids we were we were always you know shoveling calf pens or <laughs> throwing hay bales around stuff like that so and i was short and small well, i'm still kind of short depending on who you talk to but uh, you know wasn't really actively involved in sports i was more of the you know uh the groupy type stuff with the you know chorus and that kind of stuff uh uh was an only child until i was 10 and then mom and dad one morning at six thirty in the morning before chores told me they were going to give me a playmate and i thought i was getting a dog apparently i was getting a little brother um so <laughs> so uh then i had to start sharing my grandparents and my parents and everything with him and that was just a whole another story in <laughs> itself but pretty you know it was um You know, to to go from that to shortly after uh, graduation to go to the military, where there was as many people uh, on my ship as there was in my hometown, uh, kind of a huge culture shock.
0: Yeah, what was that experience like uh, to go from, you know, being on the dairy farm to to the Navy there?
1: Well, and I kind of got away from the farm because I wanted to get rid, you know, I you know, parents have all these things called rules and stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to, I want to be an adult, you know, whatever. So, uh, 17 and a half, I actually enlisted in the United States Navy. And I'm, I was the third generation. My grandfather was in, my dad was in. So when I told my grandfather, I wanted to go in the army, he didn't really say anything rude about it, but he was kind of like, well, you know, you can do what you want, Sonny, but, uh, you know, we haven't had anybody in the army before. And I was like, well, that's kind of a that's kind of an indication where he wanted me to go. But um I will never forget Corey that first day at boot camp. Like, you know how you see in the movies, like when they throw the trash cans down the the center and they're like, you know, they say things I can't say on this podcast, but uh, you know, I kind of wanted to crawl in the fetal position. I'm like, you know, maybe mom and dad's place wasn't so bad after all. Um, you know, you're thrown in with a whole bunch of people you've never met before. I think there was like 65 or 70 in our, in our company, which is interesting because I think my graduating class had like 55, um, or less, even the more I think about it. But, uh, uh, like I actually got to be around my first, uh, black people, Mexicans, uh, you know, people of all races and color. You know, when you come from a town like South Wayne, you know, I never saw any of that kind of stuff. And not that I had an issue with it, but all of a sudden, here you are thrown into the whole mix of of everything, and you're 17 and a half, and you think you got the world by the tail, and then all of a sudden, someone yanks the tail away from you. Um, it was it was a big culture shock. Uh, got through boot camp. Actually, did really well actually in boot camp, um, and then went to Philadelphia for a school. And what a school is is basically just a uh, school that, for whatever your whatever your rate's going to be. Uh, I was a welder, plumber, uh, pipe fitter, uh, damage control person, firefighter. So went out to Philadelphia, another huge culture shock. Now I'm in the service with with different nationalities, uh, different races. Uh, we had quite a few females that were in our our school, who, by the way, were the best welders I've ever met in my entire life. Um, So there was, you know, there was that part of it, you know, uh, Great Lakes was big enough, but then you get to Philadelphia and it's like a whole nother new world. And I'd never been in big cities like that on my own before. And then uh, shortly after that, ended up in California and ended up on the ship that I eventually did my um, uh, three years worth of uh, military experience on
0: wow did you get deployed anywhere during that time frame
1: yeah actually we did we did a westpac which the so westpac is a western pacific um got to see australia and uh japan uh got off the coast of russia quite a few we got to see quite a few ports and then we were on our way back home and uh, the gulf war broke out Mm -hmm. and the ship that was supposed to replace us couldn't pass their past their uh qualifications which you know some of us joke they just didn't want to uh because you know the thing you gotta the thing you gotta remember about my ship Corey, is my ship was about the size of south Wayne, uh people wise and displacement wise uh but all we carried was ammunition diesel fuel and jet fuel and i even remember saying to one of the one of the chiefs one day i'm like how come there's like no other ships around us when we're floating around out here. And he's like, well, we're kind of a big floating time bomb. So, uh, you know, everybody's 25 miles away because the, the hole would be 20 miles. And then the, the repercussions after that would be like another five miles (laughs) and nobody wants to capsize a big ship, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. and, And the thing is, is like, when I talk about, you know, some of the, some of the, PTSD and stuff that I, that I suffer from that came military related. Like what, what I, what I don't think a lot of people understand on that side of it is that you don't have to be boots on the ground with an M16 to experience some of the stuff. You know, I, I, I love it when I give speeches and I'll ask, you know, especially when it with a, like a younger, I can't believe there's even a younger generation to me now, but anyways, when I, you know, when I ask that younger generation, like, you know, how many of you have seen the scuds get, blown out of the sky on TV and stuff in school, you know, for social studies and history, you know, and all these hands go up. And I'm like, yeah, I saw that from like, you know, miles off of the, miles off of the shore. So, you know, there was a, there was a huge stressor there that uh, uh, I wouldn't wish on anybody, but, but uh, yeah, that was my, that was my last deployment. And then I came back and, and uh, came back to Wisconsin.
0: Yeah. And so you're in the military for how long? Four years. Four years okay, what was your transition like out because I know a lot of military folks struggle with that tra- transition and finding their identity
1: it it was <laughs> I had to finally like mess my bed up in the morning because I was still doing military corners and uh, you know I was folding my my laundry exactly the way it was and stuff and and uh, if my mother happens to listen to this she'll be like well, you never did that for me um but uh, uh, it, 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 it was the <sighs> this like there was there the structure was still there Corey. but the wanting to destroy that structure was kind of like inside but every time you did it like you felt like you were doing something against rules and regulations um and so it was i mean it wasn't a terrible transition by any means because you know four years really isn't that you know that much of a time frame but it was enough to where you know i had to like move cups in the cupboard just so you didn't have that, you know, that consistency. Um, And then shortly thereafter, I just became a complete rebel and I didn't do anything along that lines, but uh, uh, it, it, um, I don't know, it was, it it wasn't terrible, but it was, there was definitely, you know, I remember them, they even, they even let us take this class, like before we get out, they give you this class to kind of transition back in, you know, and, and I was still saying, yes, sir. And yes, ma'am, a lot. And, and some of that stuff. But, uh, uh, other than that, it wasn't, it wasn't too terrible. It was kind of nice to, it was kind of nice to be able to like open up the door to your house and walk out on dry land and go do whatever you want instead of, you know, opening up a door and seeing nothing but blue ocean for yeah. as far as the eye could see. And if you stepped off of that front deck, then they were going to have to turn the ship around come pick your sorry butt up. Cause you were a man <laughs> overboard. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, <clears throat> Can you walk us through your career a bit? I know you spent a lot of time in the agriculture space. Uh, can you just walk us through what, what you've done over the years?
1: So when I first got back from the service, um, I worked for an uh, uh, alfalfa cubing company. Uh, they took alfalfa, made it into little cubes for like rabbits and gerbils and stuff like that here in Monroe. Uh, and then shortly after that, I started working at a wastewater treatment plant and helping a farmer at the same time. Um, and then I had my suicide attempt during that part when I, I well, I'm sure we'll get to this more, but then I, um, uh, lost, I had lost the one job before my suicide attempt, lost the other one the night after my suicide attempt. And then, um, I started working for when I, well, while I was incarcerated on Huber, I worked for, um, John Roof over at Roof's farm service as a technician, Um, from there, I went to Studer's, uh, and Freddie Studer, for whatever reason, him and Louie saw something in me after about a year and, uh, took me from taking out trash and doing parts to putting me in sales, um, was there for about seven, eight years, uh, and then, or excuse me, about six years. And then, um, John Deere here in Monroe, uh, made me an offer and I was there, until they got bought out and I was with the new company for about four years and they kept doing budget cuts. And by budget cuts, I mean anybody that was with the old dealership slowly got, uh, walked to the door. And I think part of the, I know part of the problem was is that it was more of a corporate structure. And those of us that are part of the, I hate to use the term, good old boy club, uh, that wasn't the way that we did business. I mean, we wanted to talk to people. We wanted to see people face to face. We wanted to help people, you know, our farmers and our customers, um, uh, we wanted to help them with their challenges on the farm, uh, with their equipment needs and stuff like that. And that was kind of taken away from it. And then, um, after that, I went to Carter and Grinewald for, uh, about eight or nine months, but it just wasn't, the, it wasn't the speed that I, that I like, uh, anybody will tell you I go 120 miles an hour all the time. Uh, so I started with, a uh, a, a marketing firm called, uh, Fastline, uh, I was a uh, marketing uh, representative for about half the state of Wisconsin for all the farm, de- farm equipment dealerships uh, in the area. And, and all the time that I'm doing this too, Corey, like there was always a farmer here, farmer there, got remarried. Um, actually the, 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 gal that I was married to, we farmed together for 16 years, dairy farm, crop farm. Um, and then uh, uh, after fast line, I went to a, uh, to a Johnson tractor and it was another one of those times in my life where I kind of lost sight of myself. Um, I kind of became an arrogant jackass. Uh, got into a little bit of some trouble there, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, I'm sure. And then um, farmed with a, a neighbor, an old neighbor of my ex-wife and mine of been farming with him for the last six years. And then, uh, just recently, um, I've accepted a position as the district manager for Wisconsin with uh, big iron online auctions. Um, so I'm, I'm doing that now, which is, it's kind of nice to be back in the machinery side of it. I'm still going to help rich with crops and, and, uh, but it's, uh, we've cut way back on the acreage that, that we had and stuff. So it was just, you know, it couldn't have come at a better time. Um, I I showed Rich what they were what they wanted me to do and what they were offering me and he jokingly said well if you don't take it I'm going to call them as soon as you leave the house. So but he's he's kind of at that point where he's you know kind of thinking about maybe retiring or or you know having somebody else do some stuff. Um so yeah, but as you can tell you know from the from the time that I fed my first calf at age 5 Uh, until I got on this podcast with you this morning, my hands have been in something agriculture related uh, that entire time.
0: Absolutely. It's definitely a passion of yours for sure. Um, So you, you mentioned some challenges you've had along the way, you've been divorced, you had an attempted suicide, you've had some other things that have happened in your life. Do you want to talk about some of the challenges you've had and how you've kind of learned and grown from those challenges?
1: So when I first got out of the military, you know, the transition wasn't hard, but it kind of had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't even really know how to, des- how to describe it or where I got that from, but, but, uh, I, uh, so there were some things going on in my marriage at that time already, uh, to the gal that I was married to at the time. Uh, I, I found out that I had been cheated on numerous times. um, and that was that first probably the first moment or the first time in my adult life that I was like oh my god I'm kind of starting to hate myself like I you know I was having these thoughts and I was having these episodes for lack of better term and that's when I was first introduced to you know trying to talk to my guy friends about what was going on in my head and wanting to talk to somebody and and uh you know it was the oh man up dude or you know or oh suck it up buttercup I you know suck it up buttercup let's it's not that big of a deal you know people have it worse than you or it's you know just just all this I already had negative feelings as it was Cory, and now you know people are bringing in the, you know bringing in this this negativity on top of it and and you know, there's a thing we talk about nowadays to call toxic positivity, which, you know, some of them did that too. They're like, Oh, you know, tomorrow will be better. I don't know that you don't know that, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just, I felt like what was going on in my head wasn't getting validated. And so that made me even, you know, more, more frustrated with what was going on. Um, uh, and then the company that I was working for at the time, uh, which was Sylvester way products, um, they were doing some things from the wastewater treatment plant that were not on the up and up. And anyways, uh, it was about eight o'clock on a Tuesday morning, DNR showed up at my house, knocked on my front door. Uh, and they were like, Hey, we need to have a conversation with you, you know, and, and, I was like, okay, what did I do? You know, whatever. So then they started talking about this. And of course I wasn't going to lie about it. Cause I mean, I've got three DNR agents and, you know, some other high powered people in there. And it was probably uh, two days, two or three days later, I went back to work cause I was on a seven day on seven day off schedule. And I went back to work and the, the, the owners pulled me into the office and they were like, so, um, you might be getting a you might be getting a visit from the DNR, and I was like, "Already did get a visit from the DNR," and they're like, well, "What would you tell them?" And I said, "Well, I told them exactly what was going on," and they're like, "Well, tell us what you told," and I told, you know, basically what I'd said. And uh, four hours later, they were coming down to my office, packing my stuff, and walking me to the door. Wow! So <clears throat> I had turned to. Uh, my good friends, Jack and Jose and, uh, uh, the captain and a few others in this time frame too. Like I've, I, I didn't drink at all in high school. Like I wasn't one of those people and it wasn't really like, I wasn't cool enough to be invited to parties. So I wasn't really exposed to it. Uh, occasionally, you know, like after, uh, a full day in the haymow or something, dad might let us boys, you know, sip on a little beer. and We thought we were pretty cool. And after about three sips, we we're like, Ooh, that's enough. But, um, uh, <laughs> Um uh, I started to kind of kill some of this pain with with alcohol. I was trying to get into uh, trying to get into see a counselor and keep in mind Corey, this is back in 92 mm-hmm. and it was like 6 8 10 12 weeks to get into see somebody. The insurance racket behind it was just absolutely ludicrous, mm-hmm. you know, which drove a person even cr- crazier for lack of better term. Um so obviously um you know, booze is pretty readily available, so I became a I became a a, a raging alcoholic, uh, to the point where I was putting uh, whiskey in my coffee thermos before I'd go to work. Uh, I'd have lunch. I'd go out and have a couple of beers. Um, on the way home, I'd grab a 12-pack or a case of something or a bottle of something, and the next morning it would be gone. Um, so. I decided to, I, I started planning my suicide about six weeks before I actually uh, attempted it. And that's one of the first things I want to say when when it comes to the stigma behind mental health and suicide is that people think, a lot of people think it's a rash decision. Like you're not thinking clearly and all this other stuff. I mean, I wrote my letter And it took me probably the better part of three, four weeks to write my letter. I went and saw people, you know, and, and, and gave away some of my guns, gave away some of my, you know, most prized possessions, you know, and when I would leave, people would say, you know, Oh, see you later, ditz. And I'm like, nah, probably not, you know, and they, nobody did anything. Nobody, you know, like, like these are the classic, these are all classic signs, you know, nobody did anything in regards to that. And I, and I remember, excuse me, I remember writing my letter And part of my letter was mad. Like I told everybody who didn't give me the time of day, that didn't want to talk to me about my problems. Like the big f u. You know, asking my grandparents for forgiveness because you know I because I couldn't like I wasn't strong enough to keep going. My baby brother uh, is one of the most important people in my life. Like I you know apologized to him in this letter and whatnot. And so the night that I decided to, to, to do this, I had thrown my mom a surprise birthday party and my dad and I drank together that night. And, uh, the, the, the interesting thing is, is that I was on the volunteer fire department at the time and my pager went off or so I thought, and I took my wife home, dropped her off, um, said, thanks for everything. See you later. And, um, went to an old abandoned house and went inside this old abandoned house and started it on fire. And that's how I was going to end my life. Now, disclaimer, yes, I realize there's easier ways to do this that are less painful Two, I kind of still now I kind of laugh at the irony and, 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 I'll let people, you know, the listeners that are listening to this, I tell everybody who I give my speeches to like the irony of writing a note on a piece of paper and putting it in your pocket of your jeans and then walking into a burning building is kind of counterproductive just for the record. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, for, for a serious subject, yes, it's serious, but at the same time, I'm just like, how's really dumb. Like that one, I, like nobody would have gotten my message, like mm-hmm. everything, you know, there would have been all these unanswered questions and and so on and so forth. So I went in to the, to the house, started on fire. The next thing, and, and keep in mind, back in the day, Corey, I don't remember. I didn't remember a lot of this stuff for a while, but through therapy and everything else, you know, a lot of this stuff has finally come through. But next thing I know, I'm like, what the hell am I doing in this burning house? And I went next door, dialed 911, went to the went to the call with uh, the fire department. Uh, and luckily, there was one of our captains who saw something wasn't right. Um, the next morning, I get a phone call from the sheriff's department and they're like, hey, we think that you've got some information in regards to this fire last night. Can you come into the, come into the station? I'm like, well, yeah, I, I want to help out. You know, I'm more than happy to do that. And as I was getting ready to leave, the guy that I was, that I was milking cows for called me and he says, hey, did you, did you milk so-and-so? And I'm like, that's one of my favorite cows. So yeah, of course I did. And he's like, well, it doesn't look like it. And uh, we don't want you here anymore. Uh, you need to, you need to pack your So Now I've lost my second job within two weeks. The problem with this job was, is that my housing was part of my wage. So now I've just lost my house on top of it. Uh, Go into the sheriff's department and uh, talk to Sergeant Pepper. That's his real name. I hope he hears this. Him and I have actually uh, have reconnected over the years. uh, And I always gave him a hard time about him being called Sergeant Pepper. And for those of you that are really young, there was a band that was called Sergeant Pepper. So anyways, um, when uh, when I'm sitting across from the desk from him, he goes, well, we think that you started this fire. And I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. I, what the hell, you know? And he goes, well, he says, I'm going to give you two choices. You can either go to the psychiatric unit or you can go to jail. Probably one of the best decisions I have ever made in my life, Corey, was going to the psychiatric unit. Okay. Now, we all know how Hollywood portrays the psychiatric unit. We know how... You know, way back, way back when, you know, they used to call the the psychiatric units, they used to call them an insane asylum. And asylum itself is a safe word. Like, it's a positive word. Like, asylum is someplace where you're supposed to feel safe, where you're supposed to, you know, uh, be at peace, have some help. And, you know, when you think about modern day society and, and what we've seen on Hollywood and the way, you know, nobody wants to go see a shrink. Nobody wants to go to the loony bin. That's where all the crazy people are, so on and so forth. And I will never forget the people that I met when I was in the psychiatric unit. And I will never forget that for one of the first times in a long time, I didn't feel judged for what was going on in my head. However, I still, at the, so at this point, I'm like, I don't want anybody to know that I tried to, that I tried to kill myself. And so I went through a three-day emergency hold at the psychiatric unit. They took me out in cuffs, which is one of the most embarrassing things I've ever had to do, uh, took me to the courthouse and charged me with felony arson. So here's a volunteer firefighter who's a veteran who fought fires in the military who is now being charged with felony arson. Uh, front front page of the newspaper, you know, I mean, everybody knew about it all over WKZ, you know, just... and. And I made a decision though, Corey, that at that time I was less embarrassed to be charged with a felony than I was to admit that I had cr- tried to kill myself five nights earlier. Wow, there was to me there was less stigma with that than to come back and say, oh oh no, I you know I, I I've got in in it 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 was still frustrating. i I went home for about four days. Uh, couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. Um, and I actually checked myself back into the psychiatric unit and was there for, Oh, I think about a week and, uh, made a huge difference. Like finally got to talk to some good psychiatrists, psychologists got set up for therapy. Uh, so then I go to go to my court hearings and stuff, ended up getting nine, nine months in jail, uh, five years probation. I had to pay $10,000 back in restitution Uh, getting divorced from my wife, Um, you know, no job at the time, you know, hadn't gotten rehired anywhere yet or anything like that. And uh, I uh, uh, applied for a job just before I went into jail and uh, got it up at Roof's Farm Service. And it was kind of nice because being in Darlington, although I was incarcerated in Monroe, being in Darlington, you know, I got to drive there every day. I kind of had that time to kind of get away from everything you know, uh, it, you know, you can't have a lot of visitors in jail, which is why you go to jail. Um, you know, so I didn't have that crowd that I was running around with and then, um, got out of jail. Um, there was a gal that I had been talking to before I went to jail, started seeing her, uh, the, the, the struggle though, that I was still having Corey is that I wasn't finding my own value. Like I wasn't finding, you know, my purpose, you know, I, I, you, you, you know you'd read books and you and you'd watch shows and you know they say that everybody's got a purpose everybody's got something they're supposed to be and I wasn't finding that. Um, my, my marriage, my second marriage was pretty toxic. Um, I had a couple of episodes uh, abusive episodes with my stepson uh, and I remember the, after the after the second one, I went up to the babysitter who was watching who watched uh, him during the day and i'm like i need some help like i don't want to go down this path i'm tired of being angry uh he joey doesn't deserve that like i need to get some help so <clears throat> she kind of kept an eye on me i finally got into an anger management class um you know so the 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 thing that frustrated me the most back then is one of the things that still frustrates me now is that the lack of mental health facility help is so ridiculous. You know, if you talk to any, and I talked to probably 70% of the therapists uh, in the area, you know, some of them are out six months now, six months to eight months to, to a year, you know, and I'm like, you know, people need this help now. This isn't something that you just shove to the back burner and then deal with it as it comes. And, and that's one of my, that's one of my, my biggest frustrations with all this. And so, got divorced again. Um, and then met a gal whose husband had died by suicide. Uh, we ended up getting married, being together for 16 years, uh, <clears throat> got divorced. Uh, we're really good friends. We're neighbors now, which is kind of weird. Uh, I always give her a hard time that she misses me because she remarried a guy named Jeff, uh, super <laughs> nice guy, by the way. I mean, I, I'm really, really happy for them. I really am. And we, we talk quite a bit, but, right about the time that her and I were going through our divorce. Um, I kind of got that chip on my shoulder again, uh, started drinking again, uh, got way too loaded on alcohol one night, uh, took out a, uh, took out 17 feet of a, of a guardrail just outside of Monroe here, dropped 45 feet straight down and was able to walk away from it. Wow. So, that was like the third time when I think uh baby Jesus thumped me on the head and was like, Look, dude, <laughs> enough's enough. Get your crap together permanently, get the chip off your shoulder. Uh, you know, and 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 since then the the day that I put on Facebook and took full accountability for my DUI was probably one of the third major turning points uh, in my life. And I mean, I went for times, Corey, where I wouldn't drink at all. And then I would drink like a fish and then I wouldn't drink at all. And, you know, it's been interesting now in the last six and a half, seven years since my OWI, the number of people that I've like seen in town and then I'll talk to them. And then, you know, I'll be like, so are we okay? Like, and they're like, dude, you were a complete jackass when you were, you know, up until the time of your OWI, like, you know, you just, you know, you weren't very nice and 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 uh you know spouted off and, and that kind of stuff and you know I guess I you know from my from an addiction from an addiction standpoint Corey I'm really super happy that I didn't get involved in like illicit drugs because I help a lot of people that you know do some pretty pretty powerful drugs and I know how hard that is or I know how hard it is to get off alcohol which is one of the they say is one of the easiest drugs to get off of you know, so I, I do, you know, I do kind of count my blessings on that side, but, but that's basically, you know, the, 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 the challenging times over the last 30 years, that's kind of the, that's, that's kind of all of it wrapped up in a nice little nutshell.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a lot. Um, I know back in the, in the early nineties, when you had your suicide attempt, it's, there wasn't much for mental health services and there was a huge stigma about About that, especially for men, like you said, going to your friends, you're saying, um, you know, that the feelings word, uh, talking about your feelings, definitely wasn't uh, a thing that people wanted to do back then, and even even now, there's still a stigma. I think it's improving, but it's uh, there's definitely a huge stigma around it as well. So. I'm glad you were able to take these challenging times that you've had in your life and you've put it to good use. Um, I know the other day I saw a post uh, about growth and, in mindset and um, I'm really big into kind of growth mindset. I, I, I used to be addicted to food. Uh, I lost a hundred pounds after I kind of got over that addiction and all that. Um, But um, addiction is really tough. And so can you talk about, excuse me, can you talk about how you took, all these challenging times in your life and, um, kind of moved past that and help you're not fully past it, I'm sure. But, uh, and started to create tugs, uh, how you took all that stuff that you, you've gone through and, and put it to good use.
1: So <clears throat> I was elected as County Farm Bureau president, uh, and I was one of the youngest presidents, uh, elected, And about three years into that, uh, the Wisconsin Farm Bureau Federation had asked me to write a blog. Um, For those of you that don't remember, blogs were these things we used to do online that uh, were kind of like a a weekly thing or whatever. (coughs) Excuse me. And I wrote one on men and mental health. And they weren't going to print it. You know, when they got it, they're like, no, we want something related to agriculture. And I'm like, this is related to agriculture. As you saw, I mentioned it there more than once you know, farmers are, farmers are removed, you know, they're, they're doing their thing out on the farm. You know, there's a pride thing. There's, you know, most of them are men, but there's women farmers, damn good women farmers. You know, I'm trying to tie this all together that we need to kind of support them in their struggles because, you know, it's hard to get off the farm. To, well, it's hard to find help. It's also hard to get off the farm to, to go get that kind of help. And so anyways, They're like, Nope, we're still not going to print it. And I'm like, then I'm done being a farm bureau member. Like I, you can have my, I want my refund. I'm not. And so they, they said, well, you know, there could be a lot of backlash from this. And I had even talked a little bit about my own stuff in there. And I'm like, what kind of backlash? Well, people are going to know that you had troubles. And I'm like, that's the whole point. That's the whole point behind this. Mm -hmm. So they finally printed it and it went viral. And I, it was, it was really interesting Mm -hmm the amount of feedback that came out of that and so then shortly after that was uh on the internet Casey Langen who was the Wisconsin Farm Bureau uh, communications director at the time he gets a hold of me and he's like hey dits he goes my wife wants to talk to you and I'm like about <laughs> you know and he goes well she's got a favor to ask he goes she really she read your I read your blog to her the other night And she was pretty moved by it. And she's got a favor to ask. And I'm like, well, then have your wife call me. Why are we having this conversation? You know, and so she called me and she goes, I was wondering if you would be interested in speaking at Madison Dane County Safe Communities Guys Night Out. And I'm thinking, whoo, guys night out. That's like pizza, and beer and we could talk crap about our significant others and get away with it. And there's probably like a football game or something going on. I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm in. I'm like, what do you want me to talk about? And she goes men and mental health. And I was like, Whoa, Oh, oh. like in person, like you know, you know, and she's like, well, if you don't want to do it, you know, I understand. I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. I said, I'll do it. So, uh, myself, Scott Golaxon, who's one of my best friends, my uncle guy, and my uncle guy's friend, Mark, we all went up to this guy's night out. And I had wrote this four page uh, speech and I hate writing speeches Corey. Mm-hmm. I just uh, you know I'd rather you know just shoot from the hip, so to speak and I'm reading this speech on the way up to Madison and I said to Scott I'm like, I'm kind of hungry can we stop somewhere and of all places he picks McDonald's and so I had, like two bites of my McDonald's cheeseburger and I'm like, oh I'm just not feeling it and I'm looking at this speech and I'm like, oh I'm just not feeling it so I rip it up. Crumpled up, throw it in the trash, in the McDonald's bag with the the rest of the trash. And uh, my uncle's like, "Wasn't that your speech?" I'm like, "Yeah." What are you gonna talk about? I'm like, "I don't know," but that's not it. That just doesn't. That's not ringing with me. So we we get up there, and the first thing is, I walk into this huge room, and there's like 30% guys and the rest are women. And I'm like, "Okay, what the hell?" Like mm-hmm. nobody told me there'd be women here. And now I got to change all my jokes. Uh, and it, that's, that's a joke, by the way. I didn't have any bad. <laughs> all my jokes are bad. But anyways, so I'm like, now I'm getting nervous because I'm like, oh, what am I like? What am I going to talk about? Like now I got to kind of catered a little bit different, you know, because it's not just men up here. And they introduced me and they were talking about my Navy career. And, and I got up there and I was talking about things and I was talking about my Navy career. And all of a sudden it hit me, Corey. And I was like, so the ship that I was on is the second largest displacement ship next to an aircraft carrier. Actually, I think I have a picture of here. I don't know how good people, how good you can see that, but that ship in the middle, that big ship in the middle, that's the ship that I was on. So you can kind of get a comparison of the size of it compared to the other ships that were around us. Um, And in order for us, because of our size, we didn't really turn on a dime. We turned more like on a buck 50. Um, So, when we would come into port or we'd have to go down like locks and dams or narrow waterways, or in a worst case scenario, if you're out in the middle of the ocean and all of a sudden everything, you go dead in the water because everything, you know, fails on you, you would call a tugboat. And that tugboat would come out and you can't see him, but you can hear his little toot toot of his little whistle. And like going into port, They would shut everything down, and it was so quiet. We used to joke that it was so quiet you could hear the fish eating the barnacles off the outside of the boat. And you would feel this little bump, and you'd have this, before you felt the bump, you would just have this kind of a calm sense come over you because everything was so quiet. And you'd feel this little bump, and then you'd feel yourself move, and then you'd feel another little bump, and then there's this magical voice that would come across the loudspeaker that'd say, and I'm just going to paraphrase so everybody understands it, we're safe in port or we're safe at home. And, and it hit me. It's like, why can't life be like this? Like, what if you're this big ship lost in a storm and your engines go out and you need a little help? Why can't you, why can't you call a, call a tugboat to come help? So on the way home, then I said to Scott, I'm like, dude, 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 like, I want to start a nonprofit. And he's like, well, you already farm. Like, do you need another one? And I was like, no, like I want to, I want to start a nonprofit and I want to like, I want it to be something that doesn't have as much government regulation as farming does, which is also a lie. Uh, (laughs) So anyways, I laid awake that night and I couldn't sleep and I was fidgeting and all excited. And all of a sudden it hit me tugs, talking, understanding. And I originally started with growth and support but it didn't have the right ring to it. So then we changed it to growing and supporting eventually after that, uh, because even big ships need little ships sometimes. Mm -hmm. And basically my goal, my vision and the board's vision has been to, to attack those stigmas that surround mental health. You know, I find it interesting Corey that the word mental, the first three letters are men right off the back, you know, people that, Don't seem to have the ability to talk about their mental health challenges are men, veterans, farmers. And then you go right into police officers, fire department personnel, emergency response people, teachers, kids. I mean, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole gamut. I mean, every you know, there's just there's there's, there's the whole stigma behind it. But those first three that I listed are the ones that struggle the most. You know, and they're the ones that seem to have the most things going on because of that, you know? So I went through, I, t- I tell you what, if you want to lose hair and get really great <laughs> hair, start a nonprofit. Great idea. Sounds uh, good. And, and, and it's, it's been a challenge, but, um, it's the, the, the ability to help others with their challenges has also given me the ability to help myself with my own, you know? So there's a kind of whole full, you know, the whole Simba circle of life type thing going on there. Um, but our biggest thing is, you know, the, the biggest core value that I have for, for tugs is to get people to talk about their shit. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. They just get people to talk about the things that are going on in their heads, uh, without any kind of judgment, you know, and, and a tug, isn't one of those people who's going to sugarcoat things for you, Corey, a tug is one of those people. I always tell people to try to get somebody outside of your circle who you trust, but isn't going to be, you know super sugar coat. And I'll, I'll use an example. I called Scott one day and I was like, I hate my lunch. I'm having a bad day. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, my lunch sucks. He's like, well, what are you having for lunch? And I told him, and I said, you know, leftovers, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, well, who packs your lunch? And I said, well, Marie, pla- Marie packed it. I go, I can't believe she didn't pack me a better lunch. And he's like, pack your own damn lunch. <laughs> And I was like, that's not what I want to hear. Like, I want you to validate that I, you know, but it. that's the kind that's, you know, that's that brutal honesty that you need. Like it's, I'm, I'm one of those people that is constantly about choices and we'll talk about that here in a second, but I'm one of those people that's constantly about choices. Choices are yours. You can choose to pack your own lunch or you can choose to have somebody else pack your lunch, but you can be, you need to be happy with what you have somebody else because that's the choice you made, you know? But then when the guy that I farm with, uh, had his brain tumor and they rushed him to the hospital. And after everything kind of settled down that day, I called Scott and I literally sobbed on the phone for 35 minutes trying to get out to him. And all he did was sit on the other end and listen. That's all he did. He didn't interject. He just, he said to me, I called him. I said, I'm having a bad day. There's something going on with Rich. And he goes, and, and he goes, what do you need from me? I said, I need you to just shut up and listen. Don't say anything. I need to try to 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 get this to make it a reality because I was having a hard time believing it, you know, so on and so forth. And that's all he did is until I finally said, okay, I'm I'm done. You know, and then and then of course he asked for permission to speak. And I'm like, of course. And he's like, you know, things will be okay. He's in good hands now, you know, blah, 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 blah. That whole thing. But that's that's the whole ideology behind behind what my organization is doing and what what our vision is is to make those conversations normal. You know, I said during the pandemic, uh, when we got like six months into it, when things were really starting to get hammered, I says, you know, we've had a pandemic that's been around way longer than COVID has been. The pandemic that involves mental health is not cured by Vaccines. It's not cured by masks. It's not even controlled by any of that. It's controlled by us being nice to each other. You want to, you want to, if you want to change the availability of mental health providers, then be a mental health provider yourself by being a good, nice, kind, listening person. You know, be that person that if you see someone who looks like they're having a bad day, you know, Especially people that you know for sure, you know. Hey, Corey, how's it going today? You all right? You okay? You know. And there's a there's even a stigma about that. You know, people when, when I when I when I teach people how to do QPR, which is question, persuade, and refer um, CPR for mental health. You know, people are like, oh, I don't want to I don't want to ask anybody if they're suicidal because that's going to make them more suicidal. No, it's not. Like all I ever wanted back during my, before my suicide attempt was somebody to be like, Hey, let's go sit in the park, grab a sandwich and let's just talk. Tell me what's going on. I don't need you to answer everything for me. I don't need you to fix anything for me. I just need to get the stuff that's in the space in my head out of my head and have somebody, you know, validate that you and I sit on a park bench, Corey, and you, I throw all my stuff out there and you say, Man, dude, that's really tough. What can I do for you? Or man, dude, like I, I don't have any answers, but you know, I, I'm, I'm glad to listen. It's not that really that hard to do, mm-hmm. but we don't even do that much. You know, we social media. We, we, we scroll through Facebook and, oh, Corey's going back to the gym. Way to get after it, Co- Corey. Good job. You know, that's awesome. You know, Susie makes a pie. Oh, where's my invite, Susie? That looks like the best pie ever, you know. And and Jill posts pictures of her grandkids. And we're like, oh, they're so cute. And somebody gets a new puppy. And then we see Billy who posts, oh, I'm just sick of everything. And then we go into each other's little instant messenger boxes. And we're like, oh, Billy's being a drama llama again. What about going into Billy's message box and being like, hey, Billy, you all right? What's going on? Because maybe his sick of everything is just he had a bad day at work and he's just sick of work or, you know, he was working on his truck and now he needs another $100 in parts. You know, maybe it's nothing super major, but on the flip side of it, maybe it's I've just had it. Like, nobody wants to listen to me. Nobody understands me. I've had enough. I'm thinking of ending my life. You know, there is nothing wrong with asking people those questions. There is nothing wrong with saying to someone flat out, Are you thinking about harming yourself? Are you thinking about dying by suicide? You know, um, that conversation, honestly, Corey, is a hell of a lot easier conversation to have than to be at a visitation and facing a family knowing that you might have been able to do something, but you didn't do anything about it at all. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think you brought up a really big point with social media. I mean, you see you know, you post pictures of positive things and people are commenting and liking and blowing that kind of stuff up. But you see somebody post something where it's struggle. People are struggling. There's not a lot of interaction on those, on those kind of posts. Um, Occasionally you'll see it, but um, you definitely, I'm sure you see a lot more of the, like you mentioned the instant message back and forth, like, Hey, look what, look what's going on over here instead of reaching out to them. And that's really unfortunate. Um, it, People that are struggling that need help, people need to um, be willing to go and, and have those conversations with them. To like you said, if if you can help them, then uh, we should be doing that. So, I, I really uh, appreciate all the work that you're doing with Tugs. It's it's an incredible organization that you've put together. Um, I know you have a board of directors that that help with that as well. So, um, it's it's just really remarkable the the need for this, especially. In a rural agriculture based community like monroe uh is definitely uh definitely really good so appreciate all the work you're doing with that
1: yep oh, I appreciate the kind words and our our work is far <laughs> our work is far from done um at this point um you know and 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 I guess you know one of the other things that I, one of the other points that I want to kind of kind of drive home to is that you know, every day, Corey, we come in contact with people that we have no idea what's going on in their lives. You know, the person sitting next to you at work in the cubicle could be having one of their worst days. And I, I always use my quick trip cat guy story. Uh, A few years ago, I was at quick trip and, and you know how it is, especially around here, Corey, like if I see you at quick trip, like, Hey Corey, how's it going? You know, or, or, or you just generally like, Hey, how's it going? How's it going? Everybody's like, Oh, it's good. It's good. And I was getting my kombucha, and uh, there's a gentleman next to me and I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And he's like, what do you care? And I, I'm like, well, I asked, he goes, yeah, but do you really care? And I'm like, yeah, actually I kind of do, you know? And, and he goes, well, if you really want to know, he says, I think my cat's dying. And I go, why do you think your cat's dying? And he's like, well, I feed her and she kind of eats a little bit. And then she, she drink a little bit and then she'll like walk around and she makes this God awful noise. She's like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> And I'm like, I think your cat has a hairball and he's like, what, what's a hairball? And I'm like, it's something that cats get from cleaning themselves. And he goes, what do I need to do? And I go, well, I said, you can go to Walmart or farm and fleet or someplace. I said, you can get a little bottle of cat ball or hairball, cat ball, hairball remedy, give it to your cat. It'll be disgusting for a couple of days, mark my words. But I said, you know, it'll clean, clean out the, the, the hairball and she should be fine. He goes, what are you a veterinarian? And I'm like, no, but I've had a lot of cats and so we parted ways. And like six weeks later, I'm getting ready to, to get my diet glazers. And uh, they, uh, he next thing I know, there's this hand slamming down next to me and, and a credit card. in, And he goes, I'm paying for this man's breakfast. And I turn around and hear it's cat guy. And I still to this day don't know what cat guy's name is because I never asked. But he goes, I need to talk to you outside. And I'm like, oh, shit, please let them have (laughs) cameras outside. Like, oh, this just does not seem like a good idea. So we get outside, and he goes, do you remember who I am? And I said, yeah, you're the guy with the cat. And he says, you were right. My cat had a hairball. He goes, she's doing great. And I'm like, that is awesome. Like, I am so happy to hear this. And and I go, well, have a great day. And he goes, no, 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 no. He says, this conversation isn't done. And I go, okay. He uh, He goes, I moved here from the East Coast for a job that the day I walked in, they told me they didn't need me anymore. He says, and here I am in this town, in this area. I don't know anybody. All I have is my cat, all my family and everybody's back East. And of course, I don't want to admit that I'm, you know, failed or whatever. And, And he goes, and I told myself that very morning when I left the house that if my cat died, I was going to die with my cat. Wow. And I think about that literally, Corey, every morning when I wake up. I think about that throughout the day that how many conversations do we have that we don't know that we've made an impact and you can make a negative impact too. You know, if you're having a crap day and you, you know, yell at the person who doesn't park quite right because they're too close to you, you know, you don't know what that's going on in their head when they park doesn't mean that they're a bad Parker. I'm kind of a bad Parker myself, but it doesn't mean that they're a bad Parker. It means that, you know, something's going on and you get out and you're like, ah, you know, going and, and I just, I try to remind myself now, after everything that I've been through, that even if I'm having a bad day, yes, there are those people that are having it worse. That doesn't make my bad day any less bad. I can validate that within myself. I don't need to listen to that toxic positivity stuff of man up or, or you know, somebody's got it worse or, oh, it's not that bad or it could be worse, whatever. I don't need to hear any of that kind of stuff what I need to listen to is that maybe making their day a little bit better will make my day a little better down the road. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things, you know, I've been saying at every speech that I've given in the last 18 months, we're a society now that talks about rape, incest, uh, all these other bad things that happen in society and COVID, we've been talking about COVID like its we're talking about chocolate milk for the last two years. Why can't we have that same conversation about mental health? Why can't we be that open about mental health? You know, I think of Robin Williams and, and, and look at how happy Robin Williams seemed all the time. And I said during the pandemic, too, one of the other phrases that I coined was masks hide smiles, smiles hide depression. hmm why can't we talk about mental health and suicide and PTSD and bipolarism and all these other bevy of things that people have, anxiety, depression? You know what? None of those are contagious. None of those you don't need to wear a mask for or have a vaccine for. You just need to have a little kindness right here and and, and portray that to other people. Why can't we have that conversation the way that we've been having conversations about COVID for the last two years?
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Let's break that stigma. We we need to. Um, I I really like like everything you said there. I'm totally with you. We need to break the stigma because there's um, there's a lot of people that struggle with mental health and just don't feel comfortable in uh, comfortable enough to open up and talk about it. So you're directing a play uh, at the Monroe Theater Guild coming up called uh, Right Before I Go. Can you talk about uh, why you decided to do that and uh, and all that?
1: Yeah. So right before I go is a play that was written in 2015 by a gentleman by the name of Stan Zimmerman. Uh, Stan is a renowned writer. Actually, he wrote for the Golden Girls, the Gilmore Girls and Roseanne. Um, And so (laughs) I was reading through it and it's a it's based on a true story. So Stan had a friend of his that uh, a very good friend of his that died by suicide in 2013. And when that happened, he didn't have any answers like Stan never had, you know, any, uh, uh, contact with suicide, I guess, for lack of better term, uh, in his life or, or, or at least not close contact. So he started to do it on a bunch of research and he found a whole bunch of letters that have been written by people that died by suicide. Um, and so I read it and I read it again and I read it again. And I was like, man, this would be so cool to get this message out. Like there's a, you know there's a person that's bullied there's a veteran there's a poet uh there's a a daughter there's uh there's a son there's a, a a gay youth like there is every single possible genre that you could think of in this and so i bid it to the um to the theater guild um you know they asked me quite a few questions about it because it is a pretty sensitive subject matter and stuff and and uh dude i so we start auditions tonight. I'm super excited. Uh, we've got a lot of people auditioning. Um, it, it starts off very sad, very, very dreary, very melancholy, very serious, and then uh, turns into a message of hope at the end. Um, I I would invite everybody to come see it. I'm super, super excited about it. Uh, it's it's going to be powerful. Um, it took me, honestly, Corey, probably... 15, 16 times before I could ever read through it the entire, in its entirety just because, wow. you know, when you think about it, when you're reading it, you know, you're like, oh, my God, these were real people. These are people that actually, you know, uh, Kurt Cobain's letter is in there that that Courtney Love reads. Um, you know, there's some people from the Clinton administration. I mean, it's just these are actual people, you know, and it just it, it hits hard when you when you think about, and especially for me, like I remember those feelings. I remember writing my letter. I remember the anger. I remember the angst. I remember the sadness. I remember the peace. I remember all of those things that went along with with doing that. And I want to bring that to life on stage. And I want other people to feel um, what what those of us that struggle for mental health go through. And and, I, and I'm hoping too that, you know, maybe somebody will come and see it and it'll it'll be a healing thing for them. And it'll make it so that they can, you know, uh, you know, find some peace with their own, you know, with some of the own things that they've been fighting. Cause I tell you what, Corey, there's nothing worse than, uh, uh, waking up every morning fighting demons in your head right from the get go. And, um, you know, you talk about addiction. I'm sure your addiction is just like my addiction and the point that we both understand what it's like to fight that, you know, mm-hmm. the, the addiction isn't the same. I don't want him. I don't want you to take that away from this. I want you to take away the fact that I remember what it felt like for me to get away from my demon that was chasing me, you know, yours was food, food is in front of you all the time, you know, man, pat yourself on the back brother for, for doing that because it's, there's a lot of us that, that don't get that, that, that ability or that strength to do that and, and, you know, the other thing that I, I guess the other message that I want to put out with that is that, you know, if you have beaten any of your demons, whether it be one or 10 or whatever, man applaud yourself. Cause those are the kinds of things that those little victories are, are the things that are going to turn out to be huge victories, not only for you, but also for those other people that look at you. Like I, I saw your post about you being back at the Y and I'm like, you know what? I need to start doing that again. Like I want to get back in and and get a little healthier again. And you know, that way when I chase my two-year-old granddaughter around, I'm not winded after 30, 30 seconds or whatever. So You know at the same time that we're that we're fixing our own things you know we inspire others and that's that's pretty huge and that's one of the things i definitely want to do with this play
0: yeah that's really great really excited uh for that and it hits the stage in june is that correct
1: yep june 9th 10th 11th and 12th so three three nighttime performances and then a sunday matinee
0: awesome really excited for that all right, Jeff, I got some uh, rapid fire questions uh, quickly about Wisconsin, and then we'll wrap up with one final question.
1: All right. Sounds good.
0: All right. Uh, what's your favorite restaurant in Wisconsin?
1: My favorite restaurant in Wisconsin? Yeah. Um. Honestly, probably Swiss House. Nice.
0: Nice. I like it. Just off the square of Monroe. Awesome food there. Um, what is your favorite event in Wisconsin?
1: Cheese Days. For sure. Definitely Cheese Days.
0: Absolutely.
1: And it always last... takes me two years to recover from all the cheese that I eat anyways. And I know oh, you yeah. said Wisconsin, and I know both of these have been Green County, but there is nothing better than cheese days.
0: I, I agree a hundred percent. This year's gonna be uh pretty crazy. I haven't had it had it for a while. Um <laughs> uh, all right, final final rapid fire question here. Where's your favorite place to hang out in Wisconsin?
1: Um any place that my veteran riding brothers are at, like when we, go, when we do our veteran motorcycle rides, um, I belong to, the, the, to one of the veteran motorcycle, they call it a club, we call it a gang, whatever, it's cool. Um, but any place that's just, uh, you know, where you can see some water, you can see some trees, I don't really have a favorite place to just, uh, to just sit and hang out um i do like watching uh my favorite softball player number 11 so that's probably one of my favorite places too is any place that the uh, mineral high school uh softball team is playing softball um i get a lot of enjoyment out of out of that but uh, you know there's so many beautiful places that i i don't know that i could pick just one dude i really don't
0: mm-hmm. yeah wisconsin is awesome that's why I have this podcast to talk about and, and share about awesome Wisconsinites and hear about some of these things. Uh, all right. So final question for you, ask everybody in the podcast this. When all is said and done, what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind?
1: I want my legacy to be that people will remember me for being kind, that people will remember me for not giving up. And at the end of of, of my time, I want my legacy to be that I have inspired have inspired people to stay. Because I think that's super important that if you're thinking about leaving, there's many of us out here that want you to stay.
0: Absolutely. That's a really great legacy. I appreciate all the work you're doing with Tugs. Uh, you're really helping to destigmatize mental health, especially for men. Uh, like we mentioned, there's a lot of, lot of stigma around that. Men don't like to open up, and you've created this avenue for, for men to open up and have that. So I really appreciate all the work you're doing with that.
1: I appreciate the kind words, Corey, and I will leave with the, the the same thing that I tell everybody. You know, it's okay to not be okay.
0: Yeah. If people want to to follow you or reach out uh, for any anything, how would the, how would we get a hold of you?
1: There's a couple of ways. Uh, we do have a Facebook page. You can always go follow our Facebook page, um, which you have to search under "Talking." You can't do it under "Tugs" for some reason. Uh, but you had to put in talking and then it'll pop up. Uh, email address is tugsgroup, T-U-G-S-G-R-O-U-P at gmail.com. Uh, my phone number, 608-214-9137. Um, those are probably, probably the easiest ways to, uh, to do that, um, yeah i think that's i'm I'm trying to think if there's anything else that i do but there's not those are those are probably the three easiest
0: (laughs) sounds good anything else you want to add before we sign off here
1: no just uh in a world that you can be anything please be kind
0: that's a great way to pin this up i appreciate it jeff thanks for joining wisco legacy
1: you bet thank you Corey, and keep up the good work
0: will do i want to thank jeff for coming on to wisco legacy and sharing his story uh, the authenticity that Jeff has is unbelievable. Uh, he's had some trying times in his life and I sincerely appreciate him coming on, uh, sharing those stories and uh, especially appreciate the work he does with tugs. It's incredible. Uh, if you are watching the video version on the screen here, you'll see how best to contact Jeff. Uh, if you're just listening to the audio, audio version, uh, you can find all that information in the show notes here. Um, with that, uh, thank you for tuning in to Wisco Legacy.